0: First of all, if you're new here or you're visiting, you're very, very welcome. It's great to see you. Um, if you are new or you are visiting, please go and uh, visit Doreen. She's, uh, she's going to be sitting up at the back there, the hello welcome desk. Uh, Doreen's absolutely delightful. Um, and she will welcome you to the church. And uh, even if you're just wanting to find out more about who we are, you know, you may not be joining us, but you may just want to find out more about who we are. Uh, go and see Doreen at the end, she'll give you a goodie bag and um, and let you know sort of all the sort of stuff about who we are as a church. So, as Kate said, very eloquently amongst very many other things, as you know, next week we're celebrating the 30th anniversary of this church, uh, which is fantastic. And we're delighted to be commissioning our 16th church plant, the Kennington Vineyard. Uh, now, we we sent them out a little while ago, but we've never actually commissioned them. Okay, so we sent them out a few years ago, but we're actually commissioning them uh, and we're going to throw a huge party. And we, as Kate said, we're going to be welcoming back some of those who've been part of the life of this church over the last 30 years. We're really looking forward to it. We're going to have a, a spit roast and all kinds of things going on. So um, we're really looking forward to it. We're really looking for- forward to seeing all of you. So do, as Kate said, please invite your friends and neighbours. It's a great opportunity for them to come and taste and see that the Lord is good, to come and see this church doing some of the stuff that we do best. And as we've been uh, praying over our time together next week, we've been speaking. We've been speaking with some of those who were part of this church at the beginning, and and, and some of those who've been here, uh, we've planted out from here over the years. And one of the consistent things that so many people have said that characterizes this church is, is kind of deeply rooted in the DNA of this church is its generosity. One of our recent church planters was saying how grateful they are to all of you for sending them out with such incredible generosity, providing them with trustees, providing them with not a significant amount of money, giving them a a real sense of, they said, of what church could be like. Another one wanted to thank us for our continued generosity as a church to the Vineyard Movement across this country, um, recalling what John Wimber had said, that we get so that we can give and their prayer was that as we continue as a church to just give everything the lord has given us away their prayer was that the lord would continue to bless us even more and so as a key part of our 30th anniversary celebrations next sunday alongside commissioning the kennington vineyard and worshiping together and eating together and ministering to one another we're making next sunday a gift day And what that is is that's going to give us an opportunity to, once again, demonstrate that incredible generosity for which we have become known as a church. And what are we giving to? Well, firstly, we're going to be making an offering to support the work of the vineyard across the UK and Ireland in planting more churches like this one. Um, Planting churches costs money, uh, whether that's in the training and equipping of church planters or sending them out or, or just giving them money to get started. It all soon adds up. And then with the news this week uh, that I think for the first time in Britain's history, more than half of the population doesn't identify as religious, never has the need for more radical and prolific church planting been greater. Uh, as part of that offering, uh, as we've always done, uh, what, what we want to do is we want to send out Roanna, we want to send out the Kennington Vineyard with a with a financial gift, a financial blessing, and as always, we want to be lavish and we want to be extravagant. We want to be hilarious. Uh, in our giving and in our generosity. And then the second part of our offering uh, is we want to be a blessing uh, to those we've begun working alongside in India and Nepal and uh, more recently Myanmar who find themselves uh, victims of sex trafficking and for whom our financial generosity on this side of the globe uh, could make such a huge difference right on the other side of the earth Uh, not only to those who are affected by the devastating uh, effects of exploitation uh, but for those who through training and education might be saved from a life of slavery and abuse and so next sunday we're all being asked um, to give even more generously than we normally might that we might be a blessing we might be an encouragement we might be a support to both church planters across the uk and to those uh combating trafficking further afield and like any kind of such gift day uh, not only does it give us an opportunity to be generous but it also puts our generosity to the test it forces us to ask ourselves you know what do we really think about giving not only of our time and our energy but also in this case of our money too and so this morning we're going to look at um, three stories from the scriptures. You could be here um, for the duration of the afternoon. Um, we're going to look at three stories from the scriptures that have generosity and faith at their core. So if you've got a Bible, turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 17. I'm not going to read the whole text. The text is up there. You've got your Bibles. You can read it at your leisure. Um, but this story that we're going to look at this is a story about a single mother Basically, she's living in. Uh, she's a widow. She's living in very trying conditions, as we see from verse seven. There's been a famine in the land, and that's wreaked havoc on the economy. Uh, it's made food very scarce and food very expensive. And uh, she finds herself getting to the point where all that she's got left is just this little bit of flour in one jar and this little bit of oil in uh, another. And uh, there's her and her son, and basically she's decided what she's going to do is she's going to make a last meal for her and her son. And once they've eaten it, the plan is, verse 12, they're going to lie down and basically wait to die. They're literally starving to death. It's a pretty cheerful story, um, by the way. Um, meanwhile... Not too far away, if you read uh, the chapter, not too far away, there's a a prophet, a chap, prophet of God named Elijah. And God speaks to Elijah, and he tells Elijah to go to the village where this woman and her son live. And God tells Elijah to go and live with them. And so Elijah turns up at this uh, woman's house, and uh, he says to her, and I'm paraphrasing, Hello, Um, I'm Elijah, you don't know me, uh, but God has told me that I should come and move in with you um now we know this woman's situation she's starving uh she has nothing and this prophet signs up at her door um you can imagine her reaction she's probably not a little surprised Uh, but to be honest she's probably a little bit past caring um you know she knows that there's nothing in the house she knows that once her and her son have eaten their last meal they're both going to die anyway and so maybe it's a good thing elijah can have the house to himself um Elijah sort of then says something in verses 10 and 11. He asks her to go and get him some water. And then he says, um, could you please also just get me a piece of bread? And basically what he's saying here is, is, you know, um, could you go and make some bread? And once you've made some bread, could you feed me first? So here's this poor woman. She's got absolutely nothing. She's got no food. She's got no future. She's got no hope. And the very little that she has is now being requisitioned by this stranger at her door. Now, Elijah, uh, because he's a good chap, he he does add a little something in verses 13 and 14. And he says this. He says, by the way, if you feed me first, God will resupply your two jars. And once you've fed me, there will be more than enough for you and your son. How's that going to go down? You know, here's this random, weird-looking, probably prophet with a long beard. You don't know him from Adam. He shows up at your door. Not only has he said that he wants to move in, but he wants to eat the first bit of your last meal before you curl up and die. And he says, oh, by the way, like, don't worry about it. It's all going to be fine. And she's got absolutely no way of knowing, if she feeds him first, whether there's going to be any actual restocking of the flour and oil every single time we are moved to an act of generosity the possibility of generosity we stand in this woman's shoes we stand in the shoes of this widow we've got a friend who needs our help the church is asking for our help again (laughs) we see the plight of the poor you know be that as a result of the devastating uh, effects of the the floods that have been happening in across uh, india and nepal and bangladesh you know, affecting the lives of over forty million people. You know, whether it's the effects of the floods that we've seen across Nigeria and Niger and Sierra Leone that have killed over a thousand people, whether it's the effects of what we're seeing in, in Myanmar, with eighty over eighty thousand Rohingya Muslim children under the age of five starving. And we, hear, we see all of this. And we, we're watching our news daily. And it's getting more and more depressing by the day. And we're moved. We're moved to generosity. It's just that there's this other side of our heads that says, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. You know, before you get too reckless, what if, you know, what if I give generously to any of these really good causes? And what if God doesn't actually restock and resupply my metaphorical oil and flour? What happens if, you know, I'm just swept up in some tide of emotion? I give my money and then basically I'm just left with less to survive on for myself. How we grapple with this concept of the resupply of our metaphorical flour and oil is going to determine directly how generous we become. You see, because if we really believe that God is going to come through and restock our flour and our oil, we would become much more generous than we may be now what it says in the scriptures in philippians 4 verse 19 it says and my god shall supply all your needs according to his riches in christ jesus now the reality is we all i think all of us struggle with this Uh, and from one time or another we're sort of either a little like one of two chaps um, let's call them fred and let's call them ted Uh, Fred and Ted, we've got them up there somewhere. Uh, Fred and Ted, they go to the same, uh, they go to the same church, there they are. Uh, They go to the same church, they read the same same Bibles, they hear the same teaching, they pray to the same God. And when it comes to giving, you've got Fred, um, who has this conversation with God one day, and he says, he says, Lord, you know, just between you and me, I've got to get from point A in my life, which is where I am. I've got to get from point A to point B, which is where I need to be financially in life. I've got all of these uh, financial responsibilities. I've got all these financial commitments. Um, I've, 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 got all, I've got to pay off, all, pay off all these loans. I've got to pay the mortgage. I've got to save for, so that the kids can go to university. I've got to save money for retirement. I've just got all of these things to deal with. And do you know what? It's not easy. And it often feels like there's more um, months than money. When I sit down and work out the numbers, it's going to take—it's um, going to take at least 100%, if not more, of everything that I earn, if I'm ever going to get to this place B, this place that I need to get to financially. So, he says to God, he says, "Sorry, I'm—I'm I'm sorry, it's all allocated." And then, meanwhile, there's Ted, and he goes to the same church, and he reads the same Bible, and he prays to the same God. And Ted says to God, he says this: He says, "Okay, God." I've got to get from point A, which is where I am right now in life, and I've got to get to point B, which is where I need to be financially in life. And I've got to do all the same things that Fred's got to do, um, and I've also done the maths, and, it, and it's hard. These, these numbers don't necessarily add up. But Ted says to God, he says, Ted, I, TED says to God, he said, "I'm going to take an act of faith. I'm going to take a step of faith, and I'm going to believe that if I make this step and take the step of obedience. That you, God, will get me from point A, which is where I am right now, to point B, which is where I need to be financially in life. And you're going to get me from A to B on 90% of my income. And maybe, if you tell me to, maybe even less than that. And the other 10%, at least, I'm just going to give it all away. I'm going to be generous with it. And then God says to Ted, God says, you know... Ted, if you'll trust me to get you from A to B on 90% of your income, I'm not only going to get you to B, I'm going to take you past B to a place, let's call it C, this place of supernatural, supernatural position, where God begins to provide for us in ways that, humanly speaking, we could never imagine possible. And so both of these chaps, they make their own commitment, they both make their own choices, they both have their own conversations with god and what's interesting about them both is they both think the other is a complete fool fred thinks that there's no way that ted's ever gonna get to be on 90 percent, let alone see you know if such a place even exists so fred thinks ted's a fool meanwhile ted looks at fred and says fred i feel really sorry for you, you you're trying to go it on your own you're not inviting god into the equation and 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 the worst of it, Fred, you're never going to experience the joy of place point C. So Ted thinks Fred's a fool. And you've got these two different approaches, and each of them thinks the other is a fool. And and as we know, a fool and his money has soon parted. One of the questions we need to ask ourselves, particularly for next week's gift day, is what kind of fool do we want to be? Because when it comes to our money, we will be one fool or The other. There are really only two camps. And the truth is that some of us are Fred fools and some of us are Ted fools. Some of us are Fred fools some of the time, some of us are Ted fools some of the time. Before we move on, um, can I encourage us all, myself included, to have this conversation with God over the next few days? Can I encourage us all as a church to go and find a time and a place? with the lord um dust off our bibles get into the presence of the lord and let's just take some time just between us and god to reflect some more on where we actually stand on this basic idea of generosity am i like fred or am i like ted and and actually which one of those would i like to be and which one of those is god calling me to be and and let's see if the lord's asking us um To think about the coming weeks and the coming months and maybe the coming years in a different way to the way that perhaps we have in the past. And I'm not trying to pressure anybody or manipulate anybody. This is uh, as much for me, trust me, uh, as it is for anybody else. And let's just invite the Holy Spirit to talk to us about this. All of us. Let's just make space and room for the Holy Spirit to talk to us. And I think if all of us make space for this conversation with God, I think the Holy Spirit will lead us. He will guide us. Fair enough? Okay, back to our story. So here's Elijah and he's sitting at the table. He's waiting to be fed. This poor woman, this widow with nothing to her name for either herself or her boy. She takes her final drops of oil and she takes her final ounce of flour and she makes this one final loaf. Now the jars are empty. She's got nothing left. And she takes the bread out to Elijah, and she says, "Here you are. There's the very last morsel of food left in this house. There's nothing left. Enjoy." Uh, And Elijah says to her, "Why don't you? Why don't you just go back? Just go back into the kitchen and see what you can find." And she goes back into the kitchen, and as we know from the text, both jars have been refilled. And th- th- they're back to exactly the same levels that they were before she made the last piece of bread. And, and understandably, she's, she's all excited and she pours out the oil and she pours out the flour and she makes this loaf of bread for her son. Her son's starving, so she's overjoyed. And she takes it to the other room and she says, hey, there was actually enough for you. I, I didn't realize there's enough for you. Here, eat, eat, quickly eat. And so the son eats and then Elijah says to her, he says, Why don't you go back into the kitchen again and you know, see what you can find? And so she goes back into the kitchen and as we know, the jars have been refilled. And so she makes enough for herself. And the Bible says, this text says that God resupplied those jars every single day until the famine ended. We don't know how long the famine lasted. It could have been days, it could have been weeks, it could have been months, it could have been years. But God just kept on resupplying these jars because this widow who had nothing kept obeying. And just kept stepping out in faith. And she just did what God asked her to do. So what I'm saying from this story. Is that there's something about. The promise of resupply. That if we step out in faith. If we step out in obedience. And we are obedient to what God is asking and requiring of us. Nobody else just us. We'll get to see whether this. Resupply thing is true. Or not. And if we never do it. We'll never know. Okay, let's have a look at another story quite quickly. This one's from the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 24. This one's all about King David. Now... What we know about David is we know that David is a man after God's own heart. And if you look at most of David's life, David was meticulously obedient to God. Um, Every time uh, he was trying to work out what he would do next, he would ask God, what would you have me do? Where do you want me to go? How do you want me to be? He would inquire of the Lord all the way through. And so what happens is that God does what he always does to people who obey him and follow him uh, faithfully. God blesses David's life abundantly. Um, He blessed David's life in in every way imaginable. When David became king, he became incredibly wealthy, he became very powerful. Uh, But then when we get to this point, as so often can happen, uh, particularly to people who are very wealthy or very powerful or influential, um, what happens to David here is that the blessings that God had given him throughout his life, the blessings of God started to get a little confused in his thinking and david began began to think that he'd basically risen to such great heady heights um, all because of his own efforts you know it was actually you know i got here because you know maybe i'm just a little bit smarter maybe i'm a little bit quicker maybe i am actually just a little bit brighter than everybody else and he genuinely begins to believe that he'd like he literally pulled himself up by his bootstraps and that's what's in his head one day when he, he gives uh, an order to one of his lifelong friends. He's a general in his army, a chap called Joab. David asks Joab to go out and count his armies. Jo- David says to Joab, go and, go and count my armies. And this is basically David saying, I want to know how massive my army really is. And his good friend, the general, uh, Joab, says in verse 3, basically he's saying, like, seriously, David, like, I know you're a king and all that. Do you really need to do this? Is this, really, is this really what kings should be doing? Do you really need to measure the size of your army, for goodness sake? And what he's saying is, he's saying, like, David, look, you know that you're strong. And you know that you're strong because God made us strong. You know that you, God has opened all of these doors. God has made all of this possible. You know that it's God who's given us everything that we have. Don't, let's not waste time going and counting things flipping army just so that you can brag to all the neighbors about how big your army is but in verse 4 david says no no no, go and count the troops anyway we'll come back to that in a minute and how many of us can associate a little bit with what david's going through here how many of us started out i don't know um in our careers at some entry-level job maybe getting some terrible terrible below minimum wage Looking at our lives and thinking, Do you know what? I'm absolutely convinced that my life is never going to amount to anything. I will never be successful in any way, shape, or form. Um, thinking that we're never going to have anything to our name, doubting that we'd ever make it very far, and then the blessing of God comes on our life suddenly, and, and and a door opens just suddenly swings open, and and or you meet somebody, or or you're you're landed, you land a different job, or you get a promotion that you weren't expecting. It's completely out of the blue. You get a pay rise. Basically, something goes well and the blessing of God comes on your life. And pretty soon you get to this point whereby you're like, wow, actually, (laughs) I've done pretty well. I I didn't realize, I I didn't think I was ever going to amount to anything. But actually, uh, I'm doing okay. And all the way along through the whole process, we were saying, thank you, God. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, God, for opening that door. Thank you, God, for that job offer. (gasps) Where would I be without you? Thank you, God, for that promotion. <laughs> that was amazing. I came out nowhere. Thank you, God, for that pay rise. I wasn't expecting that. And then, at some point, and you're never really quite sure when it comes, but something changes, just like it does in David. And we sort of get to a place in our lives where we think, well, actually, what really got us to where we are now—you know, all of the success, all of the income, whatever—it it was all me. I, I, I did it. I I pulled myself up by my bootstraps. I got me to where I am now. And so what happens is that we end up doing the very same thing that David was doing here. We craft a new narrative of the story of our lives. And it's no longer God who lifted us up. It's no longer God who provided for us. It's no longer God who helped us to get to where we are. It's I got myself here. Thank you very much. Like blood, sweat and tears. And I did it all by myself. Now, not only in that situation is God no longer responsible for what we have. He's no longer in charge. I earned it. I own it. And so God no longer gets any say over what we do with either our position or our possessions. Because they're mine. And some of us fall into this trap just like David. Okay, so back to the story. One, uh, 2 Samuel 24. Um, nine months later, Joab returns. He's come back from counting David's armies. And he gets to the king and he says, counted your armies, David, 1.3. Okay? There are 1,300,000 fighting soldiers in David's army. He's it, it, got a pretty big army. Right? It makes... He's got the biggest army around. So David could tell whoever he liked how powerful he'd become. But what kind of Joab's implying is that if, David, you tell people that you got here, that you did this, you, David, will know and God will know that basically you're lying. And what happens in verse 10 is in that moment, and I think it was the spirit of the God, God I can't imagine or think that it could be anything else. The scriptures say that David was pierced to his soul. He was pierced to his soul because he realized under the conviction of the Holy Spirit that actually his new narrative was not a true narrative. It was a narrative of his life based and built and fueled by pride. And he felt terrible about it. If you read chapter 24, God disciplines him severely. Like it's pretty hardcore. Um, David comes to his senses and David says, I'm never going to let that happen again. And so he did what people in those times did to show that he'd actually changed both his heart and his mind. He went to build an altar to make a sacrifice. You get to verse 20, and what happens is there's a rich man who hears about it, and this wealthy man says that he hears that the king's going to build an altar. And so the, the wealthy man goes to the king and says, um, King David, I have got the perfect little plot of land, right? It will be beautiful for your altar. I will give it to you. Because you are the king, and then the wealthy man says, "And I've got hot and cold running servants, and I will get my servants to build the altar for you, so you won't even have to get your hands dirty." And then kind of read it, it's like that's a great offer. And then David thinks about it, and he says, Do "You know what? That's not really what I had in mind. That's not the kind of offer, offering that I want to make to God." Because David, deep down, David knows something that deep down all of us really know too, and that is. That expressions of generosity reveal the true condition of our hearts. Expressions of generosity, they reveal the true condition of our hearts. David didn't want to give God a cheap gift. A gift that was really provided by somebody else. The land was provided by somebody else. The servants had built it. And he says in that famous verse, famous verse in verse 24, he says, I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. He's basically saying, I want to offer something lavish and extravagant, something that cost me in making my offering to God. I want to put myself out to make this gift. Expressions of generosity reveal the true condition of our hearts. Um, Kate loves flowers. And when we were first married, 25 years ago, um, I used to go to uh, this florist in um, Hampton Court. It was a great florist. And I would spend far too much money on flowers, basically. Um, Kate loved them. They were a pretty wonderful gift. Like, getting my own back here. I now have the microphone. We're in dangerous territory. Um, but, you know, after a while of giving these wonderful flowers to Kay, you know, after many, 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 many bunches of the flowers later, um, I made the serious error. I made the serious error of um, stopping by, stopping off at a petrol station uh, and grabbing a bunch. Steady, steady, steady. Thought that counts. Uh, and grabbing a bunch of flowers from the petrol station on my way home. Uh, not that it mattered, but much cheaper. A marginally less attractive. A smaller bouquet, if you could call them that. Uh, but they're still flowers, right? You know, what? What's not to like? <laughs> Tough crowd. Uh, okay. Uh, looking back on it, unsurprisingly, um, they didn't have quite the same wow factor for Kate. Um... By the morning they were dead um, <laughs> but being as gracious as she is she didn't say anything and so I thought okay um, and I did it again and um, <laughs> and, um, and having done it twice I did it a third time all right all right and then on the third time I, I realized my error being a bear of very little brain. Um, and, and my mistake, you know, because gifts reveal the condition, the true condition of our hearts, I, Kate could see that I'd gone for the easy option, you know, the ch- cheap option, the, the one without too much thought, the one without too much care. And yes, technically, I'd bought her flowers, um, but really, I'd taken too much of a shortcut. They hadn't cost me anything. And when I say that, it's, it's not about price. It's not about the price tag on these things. It's not about um, the amount I paid. It's about how much they cost me. Um, how much thought did I put in? How much time did I spend? How much care did I um, take in choosing the right flowers? How much effort did I put into thinking what Kate would really like? It's, it's not about how much... Um, they were, how expensive they were. It's about how much they cost. And in the same way, the Lord sees the true condition of our hearts when we give. Because every time we make a gift to anybody in need, whether that's, wherever that is, so we give to somebody in the church or we give to a gift day like next week or whatever so that new churches can be planted and people who are escaping sex trafficking can be rescued. And whatever it is, God can tell immediately If that comes from a heart that wants to express freshly cut, carefully chosen quality flowers, or if the gift is like a four court bunch of pretty dead looking chrysanthemums you know, they're both flowers, but they're not the same gift. God sees the condition of our hearts uh, whenever we gift a gift of any kind. Which is why David says, I can't, I can't take another man's altar and another man's servants and give that gift to God. It's got to cost me something. It's got to reveal the the, the the true condition of my new, transformed heart. I want to give a costly gift so that God can see my new heart. And that's what I think we need to be doing next week. We need to make sure that our generosity, I'm not talking about amount here, but I'm talking about the generosity Uh, costs us something so while we're talking to the lord about whether we're fred or ted let's take some time also to ask ourselves before the lord whether our generosity seems like a a, a carefully selected freshly cut bouquet of flowers or a last minute hastily grabbed bunch of garage forklift flowers and maybe that's just something we need to look at is there a change of heart that we need to make can i maybe do something a little bit more costly is it just as a demonstration, as a poor reflection and poor demonstration of all that the Lord has blessed us with? Okay, very quickly the last story. Um this is from the New Testament, it's Luke twenty one. And this uh, last story is so widely known that an expression from this story has sort of found its way into our common parlance some two thousand years later, and the expression of course is the widow's might so Jesus and his disciples, they're at the temple and they're watching all these hundreds of people coming in and putting in their gifts. And some of the gifts are small and some of the gifts are large, which is as they're supposed to do. And after a while of watching all of these people, Jesus makes a comment to his disciples. And uh, it's along the lines of, uh, again, I'm paraphrasing, but he basically says, to, so he says, chaps, you know, this, this here, this is what I want you to know from what we've just witnessed small gifts really matter to the father small gifts really matter to the father and it's it's sort of counterintuitive a little bit but small gifts really matter to god Uh, large gifts are very much appreciated Uh, they're very important and you can do lots of things with very large financial gifts absolutely but jesus says sometimes when someone gives a large gift There's often still so much left over in their bank account um, that even though the gift is large, they really don't even notice that anything's gone. They don't really notice that it's gone. You know, no lunches at the latest restaurant in town are missed. No spending patterns need changing. No quality of life decisions have to be changed. No holidays get curbed. When wealthy people make large gifts, many times they won't even notice that it's gone, as Jesus says in verse 4, because they've given out of their abundance. But what Jesus says, he says it's very different when someone makes a very small gift from a very, very limited set of means. When a small gift is made, not out of someone's wealth, but out of someone's lack, Jesus says, that's a whole different level of generosity. That's a whole other thing. And he points to this widow who's literally just dropped in two pennies. And Jesus says, for that woman, because she had so little, those two pennies have become priceless. Her small gift was this massive demonstration of her faith in God. And it really caught the eye Of the father. And we look at it. And we kind of go. We're those tuppence. You know it can't have meant anything. It can't have made any difference. In the scheme of things. But those two pennies. Stirred the very heart of heaven. It's not the size of the gift that matters. It's the size of the faith required to give it. If you hear nothing else from this morning. It's not the size of the gift that matters. It's the size of the faith required to give it. That's what matters. And so we're still talking about that widow's tuppence 2,000 years later. Because small gifts really matter to the Father. And the reason I say that is because in every church, there are people who've got the capacity to earn large amounts of money. And then there are people who've got the capacity to earn... Like an average amount of money, and in every church, for reasons unknown, there are people who only ever earn a, a very modest amount of money. And the tendency sometimes is for those who of us who may only earn a very modest amount, you may be on a very very small, low income. The tendency is for us to say, "Do you know what? Um, my tenner, my fiver, my quid." it's just not going to make any difference. It's it's just a small amount. Everyone else around me, they're so rich. So there's just no point. What's the point? There's no point. And what Jesus says about the widow when he sees her give out of her lack, he's saying, no, no, no. Those small gifts really matter to the father. Because again, it reveals something about the condition of our heart because even out of our lack, this incredibly modest income, but even out of our lack, we would choose to do something. So, my final challenge for all of us is whatever level um, of income that we're at, you know, to those of us on modest incomes, the Lord would have us give something. Doesn't matter how big it is or how small, but I think the Lord would have us give something. To those of us on average incomes, I think we need to be asking the Lord and inquiring of the Lord, um, what is the lord asking of us to give and again this is just a conversation between you and the holy spirit ask the spirit of god and let the spirit of god tell you what are we supposed to give and those of us who are afflicted with affluence and the reason i I, I say afflicted is because the bible is really really clear on wealth um and the bible is really clear and the bible clearly states to whom much is given how much is required Much. And. Whilst we may not think it of ourselves. But just. Given where we live. Not only in the world. And not only in this country. But in this part of London. The the truth is. The reality is. It will make us all feel terribly uncomfortable. The vast majority of people here in this church. It applies to. We well affluent the reality is um, that our affluence our wealth that we don't think we have but the reality is our affluence and our wealth all of it has come from god you know those open doors that built your business the the rise in house prices that we've all benefited from uh, that bonus that you got from last year's performance these things are all the result of the the hand of god favoring our lives And for those of us who are affluent, when we're having our chat with God about whether we're Fred or Ted, um, that's a conversation that we really need to get right. You know, when it comes to a gift day, um, where our gift as affluent individuals could make a huge, huge difference. You know, we really do have to step up. To whom much is given, much is required. With that in mind, let me try and summarize what I've been trying to say. First of all, when it comes to generosity, let's bank on the promise of God's resupplying power. 1 Kings 17. Put him to the test. Put him to the test. Will he come through and resupply all of your needs in accordance with the riches to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus? Philippians 4.19. Second, uh, 2 Samuel 24. Giving. There's something about giving that reflects the true condition of our hearts. And we're either giving beautifully, carefully chosen, freshly cut flowers or or a rather poor garage forecourt imitation. Both flowers, but not the same gift. And then lastly, even the smallest, smallest gift matters. It matters hugely to the Father. And, and, And it matters in part because that way every single one of us My heart and my hope, Kate, my heart and my hope for next week's gift day, is that every single person who thinks of this as their church, that every single person gives something. That, for me, would be of far more value than a gift day that raised £150,000. I'd love to raise £150,000 as well, so we can give it all away. But for me, that every single one of us would just give something. That's That's precious. And if every one of us, no matter how small the gift, if we all um, give something, we can all be part of what it means to, you know, what it takes to build a church. And to see the kingdom of God extended, not only here in southwest London, but across the UK and Ireland and to the very ends of the earth. And we all get to be part of it. Something we can be part of. And every week, uh, next week, every single one of us, we've got this opportunity to share In the blessings that we've received from God whether that's a large blessing or whether that's a small blessing, we get to share it and we get to receive from God and then we get to go, I don't want to keep this, I want to give this to you, church planter, who you're going to plant in somewhere in the UK and Ireland. Yeah, have this, have this. I hope that goes some way into making your life easier, so that your church can get established and it can be a blessing to the community and the city and bring transformation of the kingdom. We get to share it with people like Rowanna. You know, Rowanna's been part of this church since the day she was born, you know. And and she's like so many others who have gone before her, have been sent out from this church. And they've given up so much in order to follow the call of God on their lives. We get to share it with her and say, Rowanna, here, have this. We get to share it with people we'll probably never even meet. People in the remotest parts of Nepal, people in the poorest parts of Mumbai, people in the hardest parts of Myanmar. We'll never get to meet them, but we'll know somewhere that we've we've played a little part. Making a difference to their lives and making a difference to the lives of women and children who are escaping the devastating effects of sex trafficking and beyond. And next Sunday, all that we would want is that um, our responsibility as individuals, before the Lord... Um, is that each one of us should give what we have decided in our hearts to give having talked with the spirit of God about what he would have us do and we're not to give reluctantly and we're not to give under compulsion because God loves a cheerful giver that's the counsel for us in scripture that we are to give what we have decided before the Lord to give according to what's in our hearts and we're not to do that reluctantly we're not to do it under compulsion let's feel like we've been forced to do it but we're to do it cheerfully Hilariously. Amen. Why didn't you stand?